This is the Canadian Taxpayers Federation podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm Chris Sims. I'm the Alberta Director here in Lethbridge. And uh, just down the road a ways, Franco Terrazano, my friend and colleague, is our Federal Director in Ottawa. So, Franco, one of our favourite topics, or one that we really love to hate, of course, is the carbon tax. And you put out a news release a while back about Quebec. What is going on with Quebec getting a special deal on the carbon tax? Yeah, surprise, surprise. Trudeau is giving Quebec a special deal on the carbon tax. What's that old saying? Like, we're all equal. Just some of us are just a little bit more equal than the others. That comes to mind, doesn't it? Right. (laughs) Because, look, as of July 1, every single province and territory is now forced to pay the Trudeau government's mandatory minimum carbon tax rate of 14 cents per liter of gas. Oh, wait. Every province and territory except for one, you guessed it, Quebec. So drivers in the rest of uh, Canada uh, have to pay 14 cents per liter of gas in the government's, to the Trudeau government's carbon tax. In Quebec, the carbon tax is about 10 cents per liter. Uh, So you can obviously see the difference there. (laughs) And that gap is only going up. By 2030, drivers in the rest of Canada will be paying a Trudeau government carbon tax of 37 cents per liter of gas. In Quebec, it'll be 23 cents per liter, okay? So that means someone filling up their minivan in, I don't know, Lethbridge, let's say, uh, will will pay 10 bucks more every time they fuel up just in Trudeau's carbon tax than someone uh, out in Montreal. Okay, so as if Albertans weren't already ticked off enough with the Trudeau government, uh, ever since your news release drops, I've been legit hearing this, overhearing this in conversation of, did you hear about the special deal in Quebec? This is nonsense. It is nonsense. So folks, if you do the math, Mm -hmm. if you're filling up a minivan, like once a week even, here in Southern Alberta, you're going to be paying about $500 more than if they'd been living in Quebec by that year. That's Gross. So, Franco, uh, when I'm overhearing these conversations, can I tell them why Quebec's getting a special deal? What gives? Uh-huh. Well, okay. We've gotten, uh, uh, two, let's say, two types of pushback, okay, okay. on our claim that Quebec is getting a special deal. The first type of response is there is no special deal. You know, Franco, like, stop it with the rubes. There is no special deal. Well, that's just plain false, okay? And uh, it's not just us uh, feisty uh, tax uh, adv- limited tax advocates um, at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Anti-taxers? Do we have that T-shirt yet? <laughs> <laughs> we saw that on uh, on on social media some yeah. coverage, didn't we? But it's yeah. not just us, right? Saying that Quebec is getting a special deal. Um, the Globe and Mail acknowledges that Quebec is getting preferential treatment. They're paying less in carbon tax, I should say, than the rest of Canada. Um, Also, the French news outlet uh, La Presse also acknowledges that uh, the only province that isn't paying as high as the federal minimum carbon tax rate is Quebec. So it's not just us, us saying that. But now the second type of pushback we get is, okay, Franco, maybe Quebec is paying less, but... The reason they're doing it is because they decided to have their own provincial cap and trade carbon tax scheme. Well, first off, the feds uh, said, quote, committed to ensuring that carbon pricing is in in place across Canada at a similar level of stringency, end quote. Okay, so how then is everyone forced to pay 14 cents per liter 
But in Quebec, it's 10 cents per liter. Does that sound like a similar a similar level of stringency? <laughs> sure doesn't. <laughs> you know? Okay. But then consider the case of Nova Scotia versus Quebec. Prior to July 1, Nova Scotia had its own provincial cap and trade carbon tax scheme. Yep. Uh, Nova Scotia had cut emissions by 36% since 2005. Quebec had cut emissions by 12% since 2005. <laughs> Didn't matter. Didn't matter. The feds came in and said, no, 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 Nova Scotia, you're going to be paying the higher Trudeau carbon tax rate. So that case study of Nova Scotia versus Quebec proves that Trudeau's carbon tax was always about politics, not the environment. This reminds me that say you've got say you're a parent and you're a weirdo and you actually have a favorite kid and you give them a lot of preferential treatment and you tell both kids, hey, if you guys do really well in school on your report card, I'll give you an ice cream sundae. So the one kid works his butt off and gets an A, no ice cream sundae for him. But the slacker who pulls in a C, C plus because he's your favorite, he's getting the ice cream sundae. It, it looks as about as basic as that. Now, to be clear, we here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation dislike the carbon tax equally across Canada. No Canadians <laughs> should we rate? We're trying to be fair. No Canadians should be paying a carbon tax, period. So Trudeau could make life a little more affordable by scrapping his now two carbon taxes, by the way. And hey, you mentioned Nova Scotia, and I loved this element of what you've been doing the last couple of weeks. Speaking of Nova Scotia, you and our colleague, Jay Goldberg, who is yeah, our Dr. Ontario Jay. director, right? Just beauty of a guy. You guys just did a tour of Atlantic Canada about the carbon tax. Little little story. I still have family out that way. And one of my family members actually texted me about three weeks ago saying, um, what's this carbon tax thing? I don't like mm. it. <laughs> so yeah. what are people saying in Atlantic Canada about the carbon tax, Franco? Well, essentially that uh that they don't like it and and you know let me give you a little bit of background right so uh dr j our interim atlantic director also holds down the fort uh, for us in ontario yeah uh, him and i did an atlantic tour essentially just sounding the alarm and highlighting some of the huge costs that our friends in atlantic canada are going to be facing uh july 1 when the trudeau government imposes its carbon tax on those provinces so we did press conferences in provinces like nova scotia new brunswick prince edward island essentially just showing everyone like hey the average family in atlantic canada uh the carbon tax will cost the average family out there anywhere between 350 bucks all the way to 465 bucks this year even after the rebates now that's a lot and um where where we really heard uh people kind of losing their minds about this was in nova scotia uh, and, and the reason is, is because their carbon tax was going from the provincial cap and trade carbon tax of two cents per liter of gas all the way up to 14 cents per liter, uh, courtesy of Trudeau. So overnight, overnight, the carbon tax increase alone would cost that family fueling up their minivan 10 bucks every fuel up overnight over one day. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you know, Simmer, like you and I, me and Dr. J, the rest of us CTFers, like we are tax nerds. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-tax nerds. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, so we like to talk about carbon taxes, mostly how we dislike carbon taxes. <laughs> uh, but it was pretty surreal that average people, just everyday people were actually talking about, no, uh, we were actually talking about carbon taxes out in Halifax, right? We, we, we heard it over dinner. Um, obviously, we heard at the airport when people were going to pick up their rentals, but we heard it constantly. People were talking about the carbon tax hike, um, which is very 
it's just not something we we hear all the time, right? No. But it's clearly breaking through because people are already struggling. And people are like, seriously, now that we're already struggling, you're going to hammer us with the single largest carbon tax hike in Canadian history. But not only that, um, we also are seeing the premiers in the Atlantic provinces push back, okay? All the premiers are actually pushing back against Trudeau's carbon tax. Uh, carbon taxes. Even the Liberal Premier of Newfoundland and Labrador, Andrew Fury, is pushing mm-hmm. back. In fact, the Council of Atlantic Premiers even launched a quote, fight the federal gas hike campaign. That's just music to our ears, right? Uh, like yeah. <laughs> Scratches behind the ears, right? I just love it. I could purr. Um, I really get a kick out of the, you know, we're the tax nerds and stuff and we're talking about it all the time and it breaking through because it was the same thing with my family member. I felt like I was in that skit. You've probably seen them on YouTube of explain to your family what you do for a living or get them to explain it to you. <laughs> and so for her to text saying, what's this carbon tax thing? I was like, <laughs> really? But no, it's good that it's finally breaking through. Uh, unfortunately, it's for a really bad reason, because now welcome to the party, pal. Uh, as John McClain would say, Atlantic Canadians are going to get screwed just as much as the rest of us, except for Quebec. So it gets worse, though, because Trudeau also hammered the rest of Canada on July 1st with another tax hike. Can you break the bad news to people? Yeah. So happy Canada Day. Uh, your present is a second carbon tax. Isn't that nice? OK, so Trudeau buried a second carbon tax in fuel regulations and the fuel regulations require producers to reduce the carbon content of their fuel. If they can't meet Trudeau's requirements, they'll have to buy these credits, essentially pay Trudeau's second carbon tax. Um, but of course, it's not just the big guys, not just big industry that's going to be hit by this. I mean, we've seen uh, countless uh, independent economists say, no, no, no. Uh, who's going to pay for this? It, the costs are going to trickle their way down and hammer people at the pumps every time we go to fuel up, right, with gasoline or diesel. Now, the feds haven't exactly said how much it's going to cost this year in 2023, but due to the centrally uh, regulated fuel schemes in New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, uh, it has been announced that the tax will initially uh, be between about four and eight cents per liter of gasoline, at least in Atlantic Canada. Hmm. So, Uh, That's something to consider. But thanks to the parliamentary budget officer, the government's own independent budget watchdog, by 2030, when those fuel regulations have been fully implemented, the second carbon tax will increase the price of gas by up to 17 cents per liter, uh, very similar to what uh, the second carbon tax out in British Columbia already costs. Now, what's important to remember is this second carbon tax, it's not replacing the current one. It's being layered on top. And there are no rebates with Trudeau's second carbon tax. So by 2030, Trudeau's two carbon taxes will increase the price of gasoline by about 55 cents a liter and cost the average family $2,000 every single year. It's just gross. So just to break this down um, and put it in like everyday person talk. I just got back um, from visiting my family in British Columbia. So I'm here in Alberta. You drive across the Rockies into British Columbia and you are hit between the eyes with the price jump, Franco. It's like between 35 and 42 cents difference 
And I'm talking a place like Crow's Nest Pass versus Sparwood. They're minutes Mm. away from each other, but they're across that magical provincial border and they're nailed with it. Folks, that is largely because of the second carbon tax and the fact that they don't get any provincial gas tax break. Here in Alberta, we don't pay any provincial gas taxes at all. So thanks so much for that. So keep this in mind, folks. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau took a look at the pump prices in British Columbia that are around two bucks a liter and thought, that's super awesome. I want the whole country to be just like that. And he basically said that they used British Columbia as a template for the second carbon tax. So just think about that for a little bit the next time you're filling up. But I want to be as fair as I can because I am from BC and I love the environment. I can hear them right now the Trudeau government and its advocates saying something like Franco, but we love the environment, Franco. How are we supposed to protect the environment if we don't have a price on carbon, if we don't have a carbon tax? Carbon taxes don't do anything for the environment. Okay, British Columbia, as you mentioned, has had or had the the highest carbon tax in Canada for years and emissions continued to go up. Yep. Now, why do carbon taxes not do anything to reduce emissions? Okay, well, let me explain. Fueling up your car with gas or, you know, heating your home or business with natural gas or drying grain on the farm with propane or fueling up that big rig with diesel are necessities for countless Canadians. So instead of escaping the punishment of a carbon tax, people just have less money to sock away on other important necessities, uh, like socking away less money for your kids' university education. Um, But look, let's not forget, like even if Trudeau brought all of our industries to a screeching halt, it wouldn't do anything for the environment. It would cause a lot of pain, but it wouldn't do anything for the environment. Why? Because Canada accounts for 1.5% of global emissions. So making it more expensive for someone in Canada to fuel up their car or fill up their grocery cart won't do a single thing to reduce emissions in places like China or India or Russia or the United States. Now, what makes Trudeau's carbon taxes especially self-defeating is the fact that more than three quarters of countries do not pay a national carbon tax. Meanwhile, here in Canada, you're now paying two national carbon taxes. Franco, I think you really put it well there. Uh, This amounts to an empty financial punishment. So you have all of uh, the so-called financial pain with no environmental gain. And then you wind up with the real problem of people having to stretch their grocery budgets even more. And I will point out, because this ticks me off, that we are seeing record demand across the country for food banks. The vast majority of those folks are working families. So these are people who have never darkened the door of a food bank before, who are now pushed into doing so. And these carbon taxes are gonna be playing a factor. Franco, thank you for breaking this down for us. Folks, our listeners, our viewers, uh, thanks for listening to this. If you're mad, good. Take that anger and channel it into some action. Go to our website, taxpayer.com, sign the petition against our carbon taxes here in Canada. Better yet, send an email to your member of parliament and tell them that the carbon tax is a voting issue for you. Franco, Bank of Canada, I think is probably one of your favorite topics because it's so crucial to how things run here in Canada. And recently, especially over the last year, 
it's been up in people's grill in Canada. It's in their face. It's affecting their bottom line because we've seen interest rates go up so much so fast. Why does that bloody matter? (laughs) Well, if you own a house, that really matters. Uh, If you're on a variable rate, you're getting nailed with that increase about every two months or so. And it's some, in some cases, hundreds of dollars extra you're paying on your mortgage because of that rate change. And guess what? If you are coming up for renewal on your fixed rate, brace yourselves. So this is really personal for a lot of Canadians, Franco, the failure of the Bank of Canada to keep interest rates low, especially when they told Canadians they were going to stay low for long. Franco, this was great work. What did you guys dig up in Ottawa on the Bank of Canada? We found the Bank of Canada handed out $20 million in bonuses in 2022. Hmm. Now, bonuses are for people who do a good job, not for people who fail at their one and only job. Now, the Bank of Canada has one mandate, one, to keep inflation low and around 2%. Well, if you've been to the grocery store or a gas station in the last year, you know that the Bank of Canada failed to do that one job. Didn't matter. Bonuses anyway. $20 $20 million in bonuses handed out to its central bankers in 2022. Uh, 80% of the workforce got a bonus. The average bonus last year was more than $11,000. Must be nice. Um, $18 million was handed out in bonuses in 2021. And $16 million in bonuses handed out in 2020. <laughs> Stop. Okay. So... <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm furious. Uh, And if I get furious, the podcast is a lot less enjoyable. Uh, What makes me furious about this on top of paying through the nose for a mortgage um, is that they admitted that they screwed this up. Like they full on fessed up. They said, you know what? Drop the ball. Shouldn't have done that. We screwed up. But they still gave themselves bonuses. No kidding. (laughs) I actually think that might be the craziest part. I mean, Look, I I get infuriated just hearing about the $20 million in bonuses when the Bank of Canada failed to do its only job. Um, But the craziest part of the entire story is really an accountability issue or lack thereof, okay? Because, like, look, the Bank of Canada's own deputy governor acknowledged that they hadn't managed to hit their inflation target, their one and only job. I mean, no, duh. And then went as far to say that uh, Canada's central bank, the Bank of Canada, should be held accountable. Well... (laughs) Handing out big bonus checks to 80% of your workforce is a pretty odd way to hold your organization accountable. And look, like no one's saying that Canada is the only place that saw this, this super high inflation. Nobody's saying that. I mean, a lot of other countries, when you, when you run crazy uh, deficits, print a whole bunch of money out of thin air and drop it into a lockdown economy. I mean, when other countries do similar policies, they get similar results, right? <laughs> but look, mm-hmm. uh, it's not like Canada d- did good either. Okay, a January 2022 report from the Fraser Institute uh, showed that there were three industrialized countries that had higher inflation in 2021 than in Canada. Now, I also did some digging into some international uh, international monetary fund data. Um, so at- on a Friday night, I just got to ask. Like- <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, can't go on a date tonight. I got some more fun stuff uh, going on. So... <laughs> At 6.8% inflation, uh, Canada's inflation rate last year was higher than 74 other countries, higher than 74 other countries, according to that data from the IMF. 
Uh, many of our peer countries had lower inflation than Canada last year. Uh, Japan, 2.5%. Switzerland, 2.8%. Israel, 4.4%. Korea, 5.1%. And then you also had Norway, France, Singapore also having lower inflation uh, than Canada did last year as well. Okay, so that Japan number is looking pretty attractive. I really like Nintendo, like a lot. Like, I might head over that way. Um, I need to stress this, okay, because a lot of people make decisions based on the actions or failures of the Bank of Canada. So back in the year 2020, harken back three years, the head of the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, told the Finance Committee on Parliament Hill out loud with his face that inflation would remain low for a long time. Spoiler alert, that didn't happen. He also said that the interest rate would remain at 0.25% into 2023. That also didn't happen because the Bank of Canada's interest rate right now has increased to 5% in 2023. So... <laughs> People make decisions based on the interest rate and where mortgage rates are going to be. And now they're really struggling to make ends meet. We're seeing some pretty alarming numbers, Franco, from people who bought a pretty darn expensive house because houses are pretty darn expensive in most popular cities like Vancouver and Toronto, especially, and their suburbs. And they signed on thinking that they'd be able to afford their mortgage payments. Now they've got much higher mortgage payments. And what's really infuriating is that Macklem, obviously, as the head of Bank of Canada, isn't just some schmuck. He's seen as the authority on inflation and interest rates in Canada. So all these financial experts, all these mortgage brokers who are giving their clients advice, listen real closely to what that guy says. And his incorrect statements are now making average Canadians pay a big price. Again, especially if you've bought a home in the last year. So Franco, if the Bank of Canada is not going to hold itself accountable, so they totally screwed this up, then they gave themselves mega bonuses. Where can we turn to? Are there politicians that are going to hold something as big and important as the Bank of Canada accountable? Okay, that's a great question. So Remember, it was the Canadian Taxpayers Federation that dug up this information through a bunch of access to information requests. Now, right after that, we released this information that the Bank of Canada handed out 20 million in bonuses last year. Um, here's what the Conservative Party leader, Pierre Polyev, said. I'm just going to read you a quote. OK, here's what he said right after we released this information. This is outrageous. Trudeau's bankers should not be rewarded while working Canadians can't afford to pay their mortgages or put food on the table. My common sense conservative government will put an end to Trudeau's big bonuses for government bankers and executives who fail at their jobs. OK, that was what Polyev said. Now, before that, though, I had also interviewed Polyev in the past and I asked him about the bonuses that are going on at some of these failing crown corporations. Here's what he said to me in that interview. Take a listen. Well, I would cancel uh, bonuses for um, failing government employ government uh, authorities uh, and I would that would include for example the Bank of Canada CI uh, CBC uh, and other organizations that have failed in their jobs throughout the pandemic uh, I don't think we should reward um, failure and unfortunately the reason why we have such a dysfunctional government is because there is no um, 
find there's no accountability for failure. Okay, it's really good to hear from Polyev saying this, okay, because it sounds like we're on the same page about this issue. It's all well and good for the opposition to say it, but they're not the ones in power. What are the government parties, the ones with their hands on the control levers of this machine called Canada? What are they saying about this? Well, in budget 2023, uh, our finance minister, Christine Freeland, said the government plans to work with crown corporations to, quote, ensure they achieve comparable spending reductions, which would account for an estimated $1.3 billion over four years, end quote. Okay, so that's bureaucrat for... Uh, we're going to work with crown corporations to make sure they save money and spend less. Now, uh, the most obvious place to force these crown corporations to save money, the most obvious place, just stop handing out bonuses when you fail to do your one and only job. So you've been digging around on this a lot. It isn't just the Bank of Canada that you've gone after. Uh, rewarding failure with bonuses is kind of the rule and not the exception in Ottawa. Unfortunately, I lived there for a long time and it's just par for the course. But Franco, you got some really specifics here based on your research that you guys have been doing under the Ottawa office. Break down all the work that you guys have done highlighting bonuses and that bonus money that is sloshing around in Ottawa. Yeah. OK, so like another crown corporation that immediately comes to mind <laughs> is the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, okay? Uh, the CMHC, uh, quote, exists for a single reason, to make housing affordable for everyone in Canada. <laughs> That's according to its own website, okay? Well, now, you guys uh, really didn't do that well, I must say. Yeah. <laughs> well, so people can't afford homes in Canada. Yeah. I think we all know that. Yeah. And what did the CMHC do? Did they take pay cuts? Did they hold themselves accountable? Uh, no, they handed out $75 million in bonuses since the beginning of 2020. Via rail, via rail. They also handed out bonuses, raises, and lavish executive pay while losing hundreds of millions of dollars and taking a big fat taxpayer bailout. Destination Canada. Chris, this one irks me. <laughs> this one is a crown corporation dedicated to promoting Canadian tourism. Okay, they're dedicated to promoting Canadian tourism. Wait well, for it, folks. Wait for it. <laughs> They gave themselves bonuses and pay raises even when tourists were legally prohibited from traveling into Canada during the pandemic. Okay, how about this one? Uh, Freeland doled out an extra $42 million, quote, to help CBC Radio Canada recover from the pandemic, end quote. That was reported by National Post. Okay, so Freeland handed out CBC $42 million bucks. The CBC... Handed over $46 million in bonuses um, since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, check out this great find from the investigative journalism service, our friends over at Blacklock's Reporter. I'm just going to quote them, okay? okay? The Canada Infrastructure Bank last year paid bonuses to all six executives and every single manager at the equivalent of more than $85,000 apiece. Bonuses were paid even as Commons Committee recommended Parliament close the bank as a costly failure. Now, whoo, that's just the Crown Corporations, but bonuses are also raining down within the government departments proper. Okay, so the feds have handed out $1.3 billion, <laughs> with a B, uh, dollars worth of bonuses since 2015, uh, despite departments 
failing to meet 50% of their own performance targets each year consistently. Okay. So uh, they're essentially getting bonuses and it doesn't even matter if they can meet their own performance targets within the federal government. I like how Blacklocks ended that quote of costly failure. Like that should... sounds like the whole federal government. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I'm thinking like the next time we fly a plane over top of Parliament Hill with one of those banner things, costly failure is probably a pretty it's good. It's like that shirt, you know, like I'm with costly failure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Well, not nice, but thank you for all this information. Uh, we need to remind you listeners and viewers. We know sometimes this is tough to hear, but if you don't pay attention to this stuff, it's just going to get worse. And if you don't think it can get worse, you're wrong because the government will continue to be a costly failure at uh, a multiple uh, level of increase. So, Franco, thanks for this. And I have to point out, uh, we've got a piece in the Financial Post. Franco wrote a really good one, and we're going to include that in our show notes. Folks, if you're tired of getting screwed over with your taxes while bureaucrats treat themselves to bonuses and pay raises, head on over to our website and sign our petitions. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Mr. Ryan Thorpe, our investigative journalist also in Ottawa, and Nicholas Gagnon, he's our Quebec director. And uh, we got a doozy of a story for you folks here today because Ryan, he broke another big story that landed on the front page of the National Post. Why don't you tell our folks uh, exactly what you dug up? Yeah, well, Governor General Mary Simon and her band of bureaucrats racked up a $71,000 bill on Iceland luxury travel during her four-day trip to Iceland to attend the Arctic Circle Assembly. And I think I might just need to repeat myself there one time. Um, they spent $71,000 on Iceland luxury travel during a four-day trip. That, I don't even know how that's even possible. I mean, like, folks, like $71,000, folks, uh, you could spend less money just buying a brand new BMW. Well, uh, Franco, she also could have bought a 2012 Dodge Challenger stretch limo. I went and checked, and uh, that would have also saved taxpayers money. There is really no shortage of absurdity when it comes to this particular story. Um, but so if you go to Ice Limo's website to give a sense of, you know, what kind of services they were getting, they specialize in, quote, genuine luxury travel life experiences crafted with flair and finesse entirely around your dreams. Um, but maybe the most absurd thing of all in this entire saga is that Simon's Hotel uh, was an eight minute walk away from the main conference center that she was there uh, to attend. And to help put things in perspective, Iceland, the entire island, is about a quarter of the size of Calgary. This is bizarre. I can actually hear some people's boil blood boiling out in Brooks over there. Some people listen to this podcast. I can hear it. I can hear it all the way from Alberta. Now, look, $71,000 on a four-day trip for luxury transportation services is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but that's not the end of the wasteful spending on this four-day trip to Iceland, is it, Ryan? No, it most certainly is not. So they spent $71,000 on Iceland luxury travel, but all told, the entire bill was around a $300,000 charge to taxpayers. Uh, about ten grand was dropped on a Friends of Canada reception, whatever that is, and uh, about another $115,000 was spent on hotel 
and hotel refreshments. Um, and also, for some reason, uh, the GG on this particular trip needed a 15-person delegation to come <laughs> with her that included her husband, uh, her secretary, of course, um, her director of communications, uh, her manager of strategic communications, two aide-de-camp, and then her <laughs> official photographer. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what that is, to tell you the truth, but she needed not one but two of them. Uh, the delegation could have cut down on hotel costs by renting out an entire nine-bedroom farmhouse on a 700-acre estate that features a German a geothermal hot pool, and this Ooh. was about an hour's drive away from the city. That would have saved... Uh, that would have saved money for taxpayers, and they could have booked it out in its entirety for more than 40 days and nights. Uh, we also know, because uh, we got our hands on the in-flight catering receipts, that someone had a $602 beefsteak bourguignon. I'm not even really sure how to pronounce that. I've never uh, <laughs> seen it on a menu before with mashed potatoes, followed by a $238 mousse with crumble and strawberry sauce for dessert. Mwah. Sounds delicious, doesn't it? Well, look, hey, Ryan, uh, great job digging this up, man. As always, you know, uh, don't get tired of seeing the great coverage coming from your investigative journalism stories. Of course, this one also landed its way on the front page of the National Post. We also saw the Sun newspaper chain cover it. Uh, we, we got radio coverage all across the country. We've got we had coverage in French out there in Quebec and... The governor general's trip also made uh, some news splashes in Iceland, right? We saw the Ice, uh, Iceland's biggest uh, newspaper news outlet cover uh, the story of the governor general's frivolous spending as well. Now, gents, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I'm really struggling with this story. I'm struggling to figure out what is the most bizarre part of this story. You know, was it the fact that the governor general could have bought a brand new BMW, drove it around the island that left the keys in the car before heading to the airport and still save money? Or is the mo most bizarre point part of the story is the governor general racked up a $71,000 luxury transportation bill when her hotel was an eight minute walk away from the main conference center? Or was the most bizarre part that the governor general brought her director of communications and her manager of strategic communications. And neither one of them said, um, uh, um, uh, hey boss, uh, maybe spending more money than the average Canadian earns in a year on luxury transportation services isn't exactly the best PR move right now. Uh, but with that being said, let's let's uh, maybe try to focus on the bigger picture here, Nicholas, as I bring you in. Um, unfortunately, this crazy spending, it's not just the exception with that one Iceland trip, it's really becoming the rule, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. And it seems like Mary Simon and her bureaucrats are going out of their way to spend as much of taxpayers' money as possible. Just sure last does. year, Governor yeah, Governor General Mary Simon, just last year, her and her entourage of 30 people spent more than $1 million on a week-long trip to Expo 2020 in Dubai. That, that's a lot of money. And why did we send 30 people? What value did taxpayers get from this trip? Sadly, they, they, they will just not tell us. And that's the same trip where they spent about $100,000 on airplane food. And, you know, you remember the CTF got the receipt from that trip, and it shows that they, they were feasting on beef wellington with red juice, beef carpaccio, and stuffed pork tenderloin. Even I, I have some <laughs> issues saying that. And But that was the, the only lavish expedition that they had. Like, the governor 
general and, and, and another supercharged entourage of about 30 people also spent $800,000 on a four-day trip to a book fair in Germany. The entire cost of that trip, including the GG expenses, was uh, somehow around uh, 18 millions of dollars. And the worst part, again, is that this delegation spent about six figures on airplane food. Imagine my shock. Okay, so... Uh... <laughs> Let me just recap a couple things there because Nicholas has just been throwing waste bombs at you there, folks. Uh, yes, you heard it right. The, the government actually spent 18 million smackers, 18 million bucks on a four-day book fair in Germany. Now, the government government's defense of this spending was, oh, we're the guest of honor. But, you know, it got me thinking. <laughs> guest of honor, right? When you're the guest of honor, people throw you a party. You don't pay an exorbitant tab like $18 million. And Nicholas, you're kind of saying, you know, like, what kind of value are we getting for any of these trips? Well, you know, I have my opinions. I'll let our listeners uh, ask themselves what value they're getting uh, from Trudeau's government globetrotters. But, you know, the crazy part of all of this is like, let's remember, folks, like it's not just uh, this governor general, Mary Simon, who's been wasting money like crazy. Uh, the real issue is the office of the governor general. The real issue is Rideau Hall. The real issue is that we've seen a massive amount of wasteful, wasteful, uh, wasteful spending from governors general, not just this one, but in the past as well. Oh, absolutely. You're entirely right. The wasteful spending culture has a long legacy at Rideau Hall. Uh, for example, the former Governor General Julie Payette spent about $100,000 a month in travel expenses before COVID-19. And she appeared for half a million in renovations at Rideau Hall, and she had not moved in. That, that, I mean, that's the price of, uh, of a current house in Canada, and she did not spend a single moment in, in Rideau Hall for that period. And let's not forget about Julie Payette's pension problem. Payette yeah. served on government for a little more than three years and she's still eligible to collect more than four millions of dollars to her pension by the age of 90. And of course, we have to mention Adrian Clarkson. She billed taxpayers for more than one million of dollars after she retired. How did she do that? Well, it's simple. Former governor general can leave office and still expense more than $200,000 to taxpayers every year for the rest of their life for six months after their death. The, the wasteful spending culture at Rideau Hall has gone on for too long, and it's time for either Trudeau or any prime minister or finance minister to go in there and these perks and cut the budget. Yeah, yeah, and actually, let me chime in there as well, because a lot of this uh, crazy spending, quite frankly, it, it's going on all across government, right? Trudeau billed taxpayers for a $6,000 hotel room during the Queen's funeral, right? Trudeau also spent $61,000 on hotel rooms in New York at a two-day anti-poverty summit where, for whatever reason, the government had to book 39 hotel rooms in downtown Manhattan. Uh, we sent the largest delegation of any G7 country to COP26, where Freeland somehow managed to book a room in the wrong city, and then taxpayers had to shell out three grand for a luxury chauffeur service to Carter back and forth. Right. So it's just everywhere you look, it's not it's not limited to Rideau Hall, although we're seeing a lot of these crazy waste stories coming out of Rideau Hall. But everywhere you look all across government, it's a glut of waste. Right. Pick a department at random. And if you do enough digging, you're going to turn up a waste story. Uh, and enough digging like that's like that's being generous. You know what I mean? Like just peel back the most thin layer and you're going to be covered in waste. Isn't that right? Um, okay, folks, like, you know, these stories, we talk about the waste all the time, and, and I think it could be easy to get discouraged, right? 
it almost feels sometimes like you bang your head against the wall and all you do is give yourself a bloody nose. Um, but don't get discouraged because, you know, we have shown in the past that taxpayers, when we hold politicians accountable, when we continue to hound them, um, they have no choice but to do the right thing and end the way. So let me just give you guys an example, right? The Mission Cultural Fund. Well, earlier this spring, um, the government quietly announced that it was scrapping Global Affairs Canada's, the department there, their Mission Cultural Slush Fund. That's the same slush fund that was used to pay old people in other countries to talk about their sex lives or to promote a uh, Margaret Atwood book in Australia. And it was also used to put on a sex toy extravaganza in Germany. Well, remember, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation dug up those wasteful spending stories. Our, our supporters hounded those politicians like crazy. And eventually they had no choice but to end the wasteful spending. So I just want to make sure, you know, we, we stay in the game, right? We only lose when we give up. So there's still light at the end of the tunnel. Let's stay positive. We got to keep hounding away. And eventually these politicians will be forced to do something right. Now, Ryan, uh, great job, man. Great digging. Love to see this story land on the front page of the National Post and just get a bunch of coverage across Canada and in Iceland. That is awesome. And huge shout out to our supporters, right? We wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for you, uh, chipping in both with your support, sharing stories online. And of course, financially, we always appreciate that. And if you want a little bit more info on this uh, this latest example of Governor General Waste, well, we'll uh, link to our show notes, the National Post story. Anyways, thank you, everyone.